Good afternoon from sunny Amsterdam and me. Good morning, good evening, whichever part of the day it is for you. I hope it's a good one and you're enjoying it. Welcome to Hail the Queen, a podcast about authenticity, happiness, and pursuing your dreams. My name is Raina Spasova Van Oust. I am the host of Hail the Queen. I'm also a habit coach. I love working with women on turning their goals into consistent, authentic action. This podcast is for women with dreams and aspirations who also want a balanced life. And if you're one of those women, stay tuned because my guest today has something very special to offer. Today, I am talking to the one and only Joanna Pollock Goodman. Joanna is an international corporate image consultant and personal brand expert. Joanna's path and mine crossed a couple of years ago during a networking event at a networking organization I'm a member of. And I didn't get to talk to her back then, but I do remember feeling her presence, noticing her presence in the room, and she made a lasting impression on me. Fast forward a couple of years till January this year when I got to attend a workshop hosted by Joanna. I knew right then and there that I wanted to work with Joanna. I wanted to learn more about what she's more about her work. I knew I wanted to have her on the podcast and share more about about executive presence and personal brand. And I also invited Joanna to do a workshop for the book club that I host at PWN Netherlands, Professional Women's Network. So this is how I got to spend quite some time with Joanna, get to know her work better, understand her work better and the importance of her work. I am beyond excited that I got to talk to her on Hail the Queen about uh, what executive presence is, and not just executive, but presence. Why is it important? Uh, What are uh, some of the misconceptions about it? And (laughs) funny thing is that um, getting to spend some time with Joanna, I actually realized Quite a lot of those misconceptions are downright excuses, at least on my side. Like, for instance, one of them, and this is something which also Joanna talks about, but my misconception or my excuse to not work on my executive presence was that executive presence is for extroverts only. Spoiler alert, it is not. Uh, We also talked, or actually Joanna talked about executive presence and authenticity, executive presence for creative professions. Uh, We did a very cool exercise about personal brand, understanding personal brands. Joanna's workshop for PWN is on Tuesday, 29th of March. It's online, so it's on Zoom, so you can join from any part of the world you're listening it's at seven o'clock in the evening, Amsterdam time. It's a dynamic workshop about communicating with confidence. And Joanna will help us transform, will help you transform your communication skills, build confidence and make your presence felt. So it's an amazing opportunity. 
if what you hear in my conversation with Joanna is something that you're interested in, follow the link in the description of this episode and sign up for the event. Okay, let's get going and enjoy my conversation with Joanna. Welcome to Hail the Queen and to my new guest today, Joanna Pollock-Goodman. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you. So you are an international corporate image consultant and personal brand expert, or as I got to know you, an executive presence expert. So what does it mean to be an international corporate image consultant and personal brand expert? It means that I get to work with fantastic, talented and ambitious people who want to explore their personal impact, who want to maximize their presence, who want to maximize their career potential. And for my female clients, it's the ones that want to smash that glass ceiling into little smithereens. Hmm. And... Because like I mentioned, I got to know you during, well, I didn't say all that, but in my mind, when I think of you, I think of executive presence. I got to know you during an event workshop and it was about executive presence. So my next question for you is what is executive presence? Fantastic. Great question. So when I think of executive presence, I think of some female role models, people like Kamala Harris, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Ortiz, affectionately known as AOC, so uh, the VP, Vice President in the States and a US representative in the States, but also people like Jacinda Atern. So why have I sort of picked those three people? Because when you think of those three, three people, what they all got in common, they've got that heady mix of confidence and poise so how you hold yourself and always with authenticity and literally those three factors literally draw you into them and get you to listen to their message and whenever I think of the term presence I always think of an old customer of mine um, who had worked with me uh, for a period of years And I remember he was um, um, a senior partner with one of the big four accountancy practices. And then he went on to become chairman of a company, one of his clients, recruited him as chairman of his company. And he rang me up and I remember the conversation really well. And he said, Joe, I need your help. I've got a client for you. And I said, fantastic. It's exactly what I love to hear. Um, a happy existing client and someone that wants to refer a client to me. Fantastic. So tell me more. And he said, well, I'd like to recruit um, a female to my board of directors and I'd like her to become um, the HR director and um, or the chief of people, I should say. Uh, but there's only one trouble and she hasn't got sufficient presence. I said, fantastic. That's exactly what I like to work on with people. Uh, I see myself as somewhat of a presence expert. So tell me, what is it that you'd like to see her do differently? What behaviors or activities do you want her to see her exhibiting? 
And this was a really smart guy that was never lost for words. And eventually he said, I don't know. That's the first time I ever heard him saying that. He said, I don't know, but I know it when I see it. So this is the thing about executive presence. People can easily identify it, but they find it much harder to actually articulate what we, the normal people in the workforce, need to do to get to that next role, to exhibit our executive presence. So that made me delve into um, um, some research on executive presence, which was done by the Centre of Talent and Innovation. And what they did is they brought in 4,000 college-educated professionals, including 268 senior execs. And what they did was they nailed down the top three areas of executive presence. And those are your gravitas. That complicated word. That complicated words. So how you act, that's your gravitas, your communication skills, and your appearance. And what I absolutely love about my job is helping my clients to align those three, to align those three so that they can understand your brand and uh, understand the essence of you. Because once they understand you, they're more likely to listen to you. So executive presence is basically the key to unlocking people understanding your brand and buying into you. Then my question that comes up right now is, what is your brand? When you say of your brand, I think of logos, I think of um, marketing. But when it comes to your personal brand... How would you explain that? What is your brand? Not your particular, but what does your brand mean? So to explain that, I'm going to invite you to do a little exercise with me. You weren't expecting that. (laughs) No, no, but it's fair. It's fair. So I'm in. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I'm going to ask you to imagine in your mind, you may need to close your eyes to think of this. Imagine in your mind someone that you admire. So don't share who that is but just form that picture in your mind. And what I'd like you to share with me in a moment is what are the attributes that you admire about that person? Vulnerability, sassy, she's sassy, she's fun, and she's courageous. Fantastic. So we've got sassy, courageous, and vulnerability. Three and really fun. And, and fun. fun. Thank you. Yeah. Admirable characteristics. And now if you open your eyes and uh, clean the slate, clear, and then close your eyes again. And what I'd like you to think of is someone that you don't admire. So definitely don't share the name of this person. Wait a second. That's someone I don't admire. Someone you don't admire. It might take a little bit more thought. Oh, I have it. You have it. Yeah. You have it. Yeah. And for the benefit of the listeners, I can see a a change in Raina's face. Just like scowl on her face. And can you tell me what are the words or phrases that you'd attribute to that individual? Uh, There is a word that comes up and that's soft as in, um, how do you call somebody who is very like, like that thing that children play with? That's very like. uh, Slime. Yeah. Well, so that. malleable, someone yeah, very that, malleable. That's the word. It's not soft. It's that one, that word. Very malleable. That's that's the number one thing that comes to my mind. 
pleasing. So a people pleaser, malleable, changes direction maybe, and you can't yeah. quite trust them? Yeah, definitely no. Anything else about them that springs to mind that you want to share? That I don't want to be around such a person at all. Yeah, so a feeling of dislike. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. You can open your eyes now. So what you've described there is those two people's personal brands. So whether it was on purpose or not, I'm certainly, I think it wasn't intentional of the second individual, the one that you didn't like, to convey those aspects of their personality. But those words describe their brand. So it's the feeling that you elicit in others that describes what it's like to have a relationship with you. And the famous phrase that um, is used for personal branding is the Jeff Bezos, who's the CEO of Amazon, his quote. It's what people say when you're not in the room. So you can normally encapsulate it in three words or phrases, as you've just done now. If you get it right, it can unlock your career success. What does it mean if you get it right? It means you're seen as the go-to person in your company or your department. And what does that mean? It means that you get invited to things like speaking engagements internally and also externally. It means it's easier to negotiate your pay rises because when you go in to talk to your boss or whoever's negotiate you're negotiating with, they will know about you. They will have heard of you. They'll have seen you speak. You don't need to work as hard to convince people of your worth because they already know before you've walked in. And it means that you're more likely for someone to pick up the phone and have a chat with you to ask your opinion. And therefore, you're more likely to be approached for roles, which is the ideal in in the real world. It's ideal if people think of you first and you get access to what we call the unadvertised market, which is 70 percent of the job market, only 30 percent is the advertised job market. And certainly the more senior you get, a lot of board roles are very much by word of mouth. So a personal brand becomes more and more important to unlock your board potential. And it takes a lot of hard work to really understand your brand. It takes openness. And as you've said before, it takes vulnerability to be open to other people's feedback and understand um, to be self-aware. It takes a lot of work to get there. A lot of people, as the second person you describe, the person you dislike, don't manage their brand strategically. And that second person that you're talking about didn't intentionally put those messages out. And there's a risk. If you don't manage your brand, it will manage you. It means that you will not get asked or you will get refused to do speaking engagements. It means you may be declined for that pay rise in spite of the work you've done. It may mean that you don't get opportunities and it's tougher to get advertised role outside of your company if people know people inside of your company and pick up the phone and have a chat with them about you and they don't say complimentary things. So it can be a big positive but it can also be detrimental to you, particularly in this world of social media, where things are recorded online, where things are annotated, where it's easier to access that information about you. What you say is so interesting because with this exercise, it made me realize that I thought that if people don't talk about, uh, if, if 
people either talk about you or don't talk about you. But it's not true that they don't talk about you. They do. It's just not in situations that you don't want people, not in situations that you want people to be talking about you. Absolutely. And at the same time, what you say, I recognize that in um, the women that I work as, uh, that I work with as a habit coach. So they're all women who want to be the go-to person. Like the one number one thing that I hear them all say, um, the, the, you, the words they use are different there. I want to be recognized. I want to be respected. I want to be demanded. Shortly said, the go-to person. And at the same time, they see this on one side and they see becoming that person as um, not being authentic. So it, it means as making sacrifices as to who yes. you are. And you mentioned in the very beginning the word authenticity as a part yes. of what you do. And I know that Absolutely. this is important because we've had previous conversations. So I know that authenticity is a big part of what you do. So Absolutely. can you tell us a little bit more about how being conscious about your brand doesn't mean going against you, but it in a way means being more of you. Absolutely. Your personal brand and your executive presence is being able to portray what's on the inside, on the outside, through the colors and styles and what you're wearing, through your body language, through your voice, through your nonverbal communication, through everything around you. And a lot of people say, well, yes, it feels inauthentic. It feels fake. It feels like I'm trying too hard. But then if you think about, say, becoming a piano player. So I learned to play the piano. My grandma was a concert pianist. And I, used to, I was uh, very lucky to learn to play the piano on a, a baby grand piano. And um, it took a huge amount of practicing just to be able to do the most basic tune. So to be able to have a finished article, you have to put a lot of work in. And one of the misconceptions about executive presence is um, that you're born with it. So people look at people like um, Barack Obama and they say, well, he's just a natural. He's just kind of got it. But the truth is... He's done voice coaching. He's got an image consultant. He's told how to stand. He's got someone choosing, you know, his clothes and um, even, you know, the makeup on his skin to uh, reflect different tones. Um, so what looks effortless takes an awful lot of practicing. So the people that we see on stage, like um, I'm, I forget the guy's name, Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins, you may know, um, sort of a big motivational speaker. And people say, wow, he got, has just got it. it. Takes hours and hours and hours of him practicing that content to be able to deliver that on stage. Same as stand-up comedians, same as any presenter. So to look effortless takes effort. It's actually Tony Robbins who says that people praise you in public what you practice in private. So Spot on. Love that. Yeah, absolutely. And since I've got to know you um, and talk to you more often and be around you more often, I'm recognizing a lot of, I used to call it, think of it as myths or prejudices around executive presence. 
And after a recent conversation with um, a recent conversation uh, with somebody else, I actually uh, heard the word excuse that these are just excuses not to do something. And um, I'll be the first one to admit that executive presence would mean becoming someone I'm not. Again, thanks to you, I recognize that's not not the case. Another excuse that um, comes to my mind is if we go, if we talk about people as introverts and extroverts, then I'll be, oh, I'm an, I'm an introvert. So that I'm not a person who, who is, um, let's keep it brief. So executive presence is not for introverts. What is your experience with that? So if we, we talked earlier about people that have kind of got it, and one of the person, people that I referenced was Jacinda Atern, and if I didn't, I should have, um, who's the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Do you think she's an introvert or an extrovert? I'm guessing the answer is introvert. I'd say very much an introvert, compared to the typical Prime Minister. So if you compare it to, say, Boris Johnson of the UK... And you yeah. contrast it. It's it's easier to think of things when you contrast. Um, and um, uh, I would pick her very much as an introvert with executive presence. So whoever you are, it takes determination and grit. And yes, perhaps it takes a little bit more determination and grit to get there up on the stage as an introvert and, and do your thing on stage. Perhaps it does. Perhaps it is tougher to work the room. Perhaps it is um, tougher to be the first one to speak. But these are all things that you can learn. And if you think of what introverts have that extroverts don't have, then generally the person to be more reflective. They're generally the person to listen to the conversation. They're generally the person to come out with their words of wisdom at the end and to use less words. What is executive presence? using less words, being concise, being succinct, being brilliant and being done. And that is a natural skill of introverts. It's letting other people have the stage and coming in with your pearls of wisdom. And that's something that extroverts find tougher to do. So whatever your personality type, there's going to be parts of executive presence that come more naturally to you and parts that you've got to work on. It's whether people are prepared to put the work in, are prepared to develop verbal strategies and practice them and practice them and practice them so that when they get put on the spot and asked a question, they almost go into automatic mode back to that verbal strategy to answer their question so they can relax. There's not that fear of, my God, how do I answer a question like that? No. <laughs> You've got your verbal strategy, you're coming out, you're answering a question, and you're just slotting in a few words. And it allows you to crystallize your thinking because the panic has gone out of the situation. If you know that you look good, if you know that the colors you're wearing suit you, if you know that you're portraying your best self, if you know that you're, you've had feedback and um, what you want to portray inside is portrayed on the outside, then you can relax a little bit. And when opportunities come up at work, in professional life, or even in your personal life, you're more likely to put your hand up and go for them or smile or make eye contact, which makes the other person believe that you're the person that you know is happy to take the microphone and put your point of view. 
because your aura and your presence is calm and collected and um, inviting people in rather than that look of fear uh, like don't come near me like a frightened bird don't come near me when you're like all stiff and like wild-eyed you know people are going to walk away from that and avoid that so it's being prepared it's understanding uh, your personal brand it's getting that feedback it's working with a professional on your brand to get the feedback on how you come across which i call personal insights working on your personal brand coming up with those three words that um, describe the essence of you and then translating your brand translating your brand there's various different ways you can do it you can do it through color you can do it through your style of clothing you're wearing you can do it through verbal strategies and you can do it through body language you can do it through your voice you can do it through micro expressions being able to read the tiny split second expressions that fleetingly come over someone's face so that you can understand how the other person's thinking and feeling. And then you can use different verbal strategies to pick up on those and delve into them. And that's something, micro-expressions, is, is something that people who are introverts are really good at. Does that answer your question? I love what you're saying. I love what you're saying uh, first. Well, there are actually two things about what you're saying that I love. One is that executive presence is not about being something for extroverts or introverts, but it's actually a combination of the strengths of both types, so to speak. And the other thing that, that you mentioned is being prepared. I always thought of going to a meeting, going to or going to a meeting as preparing, as preparing what I'm going to say as in terms of knowledge of my expertise. Absolutely. And I always wondered, but there is something missing there. Like that that's not so then I again go back and I'll learn more and more. And recently I've been wondering, I don't need to learn more, but I'm still missing something. And that's when I met you and I realized that going to a meeting is not just what I know, because I know, I know I am good at what I do, but preparation isn't only what I know. It's how I present myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is a le lesson I learned early in my career where I started to, when I was in the banking world in financial services and I started to see that certain people got promoted and got the, the plum jobs and certain people didn't. I was working harder and harder and working longer and longer hours and I looked around me and I thought, wow, it isn't the people that um, are working the hardest or working the longest hours or the smartest uh, that are getting those more senior jobs. It's the people that um, are going to those networking events. It's the people that are telling other people what they've done. It's the people who've got most influence and persuasion. And when I had my first personal branding session, my first um, image consultancy session, that's what I learned. I learned that um, you can influence people through how you package yourself. And just because inside you know that you know certain information and you know you can do the job, then, you know, you could be the world's best kept secret unless you start portraying it to others and telling people about it and finding a way to, if you like, toot your own horn uh, without being seen as, as a blatant self-promoter. And personal branding is the way of doing that because you're putting out there 
through all different methods uh, your strengths. You don't have to be the person that brags. You're the person that draws people into you. And it takes a lot of effort and time and personal development to get to that stage. And I found that um, my job disappeared after about 15 years with my first company. And I had the option to reapply for you know, another role with the company or to go outside. And I know a lot of the people listening will perhaps be in that position themselves, whereby they're faced with moving jobs after, a, you know, it's the only job I'd ever had after a long period. And it's absolutely petrifying. But once you understand your brand, once you understand your personal impact, once you've had feedback on how you come across, once you know you look good, you sound right, you um, uh, are portraying the best version of yourself and you've got your verbal strategies, then you can do what I did. I went for an interview. I had a five-stage interview and um, I went from a role to a much bigger role as a result of my role disappearing. Uh, would I have been able to do that without my training, without my personal impact and personal brand training? No, I definitely wouldn't. And I got that job as the first area director of a bank with a couple of hundred people reporting to me with what they call P&L responsibility, profit and loss responsibility. And I decided, OK, I'm the only woman in the room. There was 90 area directors and myself. So there's one of 90 female. Uh, all the others were male. Um, and there was no um, uh, corporate managers uh, reporting to me that manage relationships with clients. So um, at the next stage of interviews, I decided to recruit a woman into that role because she was the best person to do that role. And also because we needed representation of women. They're female clients. So why wouldn't there be female relationship managers? When she was recruited into that job, I was quite shocked so the phone started ringing with all sorts of complaints, complaints that uh, she didn't know enough about their line of business, complaints that uh, the chemistry wasn't right with her, all manner of complaints, not one that you could say, OK, there's a development need in a certain area. And she was good. She was definitely as good as the guys that she that worked, you know, uh, in other areas. Um, so I brought the same image consultant who's a personal brand expert into work that had helped me into work with her and made tiny tweaks in terms of how she came across and the phone stopped ringing. There were no more complaints from clients. So your personal brand and your personal impact can make your career, but it can also break your career. All I can say is, wow, it's um, quite powerful what you're just saying. What I'm wondering as I'm listening to you is one of the things that I hear a lot is that we women, that I would say the behavior I just described about myself is something typical for women. We work on being prepared, it's a knowledge, reading everything, Absolutely. having everything done, uh, the perfection, uh, perfectionism thing. Do you work with men as well? And if you do, what are the challenges around executive presence that men face? Really interesting question. I love working with men. So a lot of people that work in the female um, um, arena in this kind of world solely work with females. I purposely don't. The reason why I don't is it's important as a trainer, as a coach, to keep balance, to know what's going on out there, 
to get those secrets of success, to listen to what other people are doing and to share those with the other gender. So for men, interestingly, they feel invisible. They say they're walking into a room and everyone, when we used to walk into a room, I guess when we walk into the Zoom room as well, uh, they feel invisible because everyone looks like them. Particularly the men that aren't as tall as other men always mention their height as a, as a disadvantage. And the guys that uh, perhaps have gone, you know, don't have uh, lots of hair um, and, uh, you know, we've got rid of ties. They say they feel invisible because all you see is a pale shirt uh, and a face, no hair, no distinguishing features. So I often recommend that guys actually get clear glass lenses so that they can wear glasses actually just to give them some individualism to help them to look more memorable. Because the first trick is all is all visible. And what women don't realize is that they're the only woman in the room, they're automatically got the privilege of being visible may not always feel like a privilege but it is a privilege because you're noticed as different there's more attention on you than other people which sometimes can feel a bit like being in a fishbowl if you ask a lot of senior women but it is a privilege in business because it means that people are more likely to listen to you because you're more visible so for guys a lot of guys it's visibility um a lot of them are conscious about height um, a lot of them feel um, that it's hard to differentiate themselves from the other guys in the room. So it's a lot of work around confidence, around verbal strategies, um, and also around how visually to get looking visible in a world where their tools have been depleted. No tie and, uh, you know, nature has taken its force and it means they don't have hair and, they, you know, there's nothing distinguishing them. And and I'm also thinking that um, when, you know, before a pandemic, when people would still go to the office, if I walk around, for instance, the World Trade yes. Center here in Amsterdam, and you see most men, they have that yes. kind of uniform, no matter which, which company they work for, it's the dark blue suit with white, yes. a white shirt, short hair. So also in terms of colors, if it's... If, if we're very thinking very practically in terms of colors, there aren't that many ways to differentiate how you look um, for guys. So that I guess is also a disadvantage. It's for more them. subtle. It's different blues, and also for the brave, it's different colored shirts and wearing things that suit them. So it's the cut, and there's small details. For example, on the the collar. There's the cutaway collar, the standard collar, the, the button-down collar. There's various different collars that often as women we don't even know exist, that make a big impact on how long someone's face looks, how wide someone's face looks, um, on, on whether it suits them. And then there's different shades of the blue and the whites that make a real difference in terms of how they look. What women have as an advantage is we can almost wear any colour for business as long as it's worn in the right way. So we have a big advantage over men in terms of... Um, um, our verbal, uh, sorry, our verbal, our visual tools that we can use to become visible, which automatically give us an advantage as people are going to look at us and therefore, we're, you know, they're going to listen to us more easily than being invisible. I learned so much from you. It's, um, it's a privilege to have you here and be able to talk to you. And it's an honour to be here with you.
And I already, Rainy, you've given me so much help in terms of what I'm coaching into clients, how to get those committed to being habits. And that's something that, you know, I'm learning from you because I often do, say, 10 sessions with clients. I work with them maybe once or twice a month. And we go back on what we've learned the previous month and then we go on to new content and I'm looking to embed the knowledge from the previous month um, and go on to new content. But the key challenge is how to commit those new activities to become habits. And that's what I'm learning from you. So I'm really looking forward to our next event. I think it's on the 29th of March. Is that right? Yes, correct. 29th of March. And we're looking to maybe do a joint gig whereby you help uh, with the verbal strategies and you look at, okay, well, we've learned these verbal strategies. How can we commit them to habit? Yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. And I, like I said, I see it as an honor to be working alongside you for such an event. And likewise. Going back to um, the excuses, which I used to think of as prejudices or myths around executive presence, one that... I also noticed is that executive presence is something that is, I want to say reserved, but something typical for you need it, actually. That's the word that you need it if you want to be an executive, if you want to be in a senior position in a corporate world, in the corporate world. But now that I've been talking to you and I realize that executive presence isn't that much about where you work, but it's having presence, being seen, being remembered. What about executive presence and people who work in, hmm, I forgot the word, but say if you're a photographer, if you are outside of the corporate world. An entrepreneur, yeah. Entrepreneur, yeah. So how how can you, and especially more creative professions, how can executive presence help people who are in such positions? Good question. And um, Amy Cuddy, who's a very famous social scientist, has written a book all about presence. So executive presence is just the terminology in uh, the corporate world. But presence is uh, a whole topic that's heavily uh, written about um, by many social scientists. what, What evokes presence and how important it is in our lives and how it can make life easier because once you develop that presence you have to work less hard so as a photographer you haven't got a desk to go to and uh sort of leads in your inbox uh that you can just turn into clients you've got to go out there and win business and why choose one photographer over another photographer So Herman Chow is a fantastic personal branding photographer and he's regularly on LinkedIn and he's uh, promoting himself as a personal branding photographer Um, and he's sort of opening up himself as to, uh, I think yesterday or today, as to how it it took him until his 40s to realise that um, people are only going to pick him Uh, to be a photographer he's a little bit more open about his own vulnerability and his own insecurities and becomes a real tangible person that people like understand and buy into so presence in the entrepreneurial world is even more important because if you don't have it you don't eat so what could be more important than that 
Oh, and I also remember in the beginning, you mentioned that uh, when you have a brand that you also don't need to negotiate about um, salary increase. Yes. I just realized as I'm listening how one of the biggest concerns about uh, freelancers, entrepreneurs is the fee they charge, especially when they want to ask for more. So I'm now realizing if you have that preparation that we talked about, if you've worked on it, if you have the feedback about how you speak, how you look, how you act, if you um, have the brand, then you also would have the confidence to say a higher price. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was on the phone the other day to a corporate. I'm doing an event for International Women's Day, a global event. And uh, they had a competitor's quote in for um, a quarter of the price that I was quoting. And I still won that business. I still won that business because she'd seen that event, that PWN event that I'd done. And she'd seen what I can do. She knew that that was the right um look and feel and um, tone that she wanted for her event. And because of that, I was, a, I was able to equip her with um, the value that I can bring and the outputs that come from that workshop. And I still won that business. And that's all about your brand. So your brand helps you to elevate your fee. This seems like a good moment to talk a little bit about you and your story, uh, because when I look at you earlier, when you said, so who is the person that comes to you as an, um, as an example for executive brand, executive presence, when you talked about Barack Obama, before you said that, I would have said you. And when I look at you, it seems so effortless. It seems so easy. It seems like what you said, like you were born with it. So I'm wondering how much of the Joanna with the executive presence that I see is how you were born and how much of it is what you learned? Is it nature or is it nurture, that eternal question? Well, if I told you that I didn't speak at school because I was too shy until the age of eight. I would say no. That's me. And I had to go to ballet classes and various other personal development activities because I was so shy. Um, but what that sort of introverted period of my life gave me was a lot of time to get curious about other people and to observe. And I took an awful lot in. And it was just a matter of how to then use that information, everything I learned, how to express it. And that's what I had to learn. And I was fortunate enough to join a uh, company after graduating that provided fantastic absolutely fantastic training and part of the training involved things like how to network how to walk into a room with presence who to approach when you go into a networking event so a lot of the people that we see as oh my god they're natural networkers we've been taught how to network whereas you know a lot of people that are entrepreneurs or haven't had the benefit of going on say a graduate training scheme with two years of training um, you know, they've missed out because they've been, you know, putting their head down and, and getting the work done. Whereas, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've been to a finishing school, learning how to walk, how to talk, what to wear to suit me. Um, I've uh, invested myself in a lot of personal training. And um, I've always had it within me, but it's how to bring it from the inside to the outside. 
I say one of the attributes, the God-given attributes that I've had, which didn't feel like an attribute when I was growing up, is that I'm extremely tall for a woman, 176 centimetres, which is five foot nine and a half in the UK, which puts me in the realm of giant. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was nearing that height, you know, in my early teens. So I was always very visible. If I went on the tube on the way to, on the way to school... Um, people would come up to me and ask me, you know, what's happening with the train today? Um, you know, why is there been delays? And I'd look at them like, why are you asking a schoolgirl <laughs> this question? And I had to come up with an answer because they look at people that are tall with authority. So if you have a look at um, how many CEOs um, uh, are six foot four plus, it's a huge proportion male CEOs. So height is a huge attribute. It means that people almost always defer to you for your opinion of uh, assuming that you have authority. And I decided to make that an attribute and grow into that authority. But it's always stood me in good stead. You mentioned earlier, briefly about your uh, career that uh, you used to work for a company. So you didn't start out start as um personal brand consultant and corporate image consultant. So no, I didn't. I know you used to work for the banking industry, which is so interesting. I did. Tell me about that transition from working for the banking industry in London to, uh, to being in Amsterdam. Yeah. How did I get here? So as I mentioned earlier, I've had a 20 year flourishing career in financial services, and I'm really proud to have many firsts in my career. So um, I was the first uh, business banking female manager. And then um, I became an area director of a group of uh, uh, business bankers in the southeast of England. And I was then headhunted into a competitor bank. um, And I was the first female area director, as I mentioned earlier, um, in um, um, a bank bank. on the corporate side, corporate banking side. And then I was the first female manager manager managing um, uh, a boutique wealth management practice in London. And a certain level of my career, as I said before, I realised that it's not just working harder and harder that gets you there. And I engaged in that personal branding training through my company. And... Um, what I decided I'd like to do throughout my career is help other women to receive the help and assistance to make their career shine, to bring what's on the inside on the outside. So throughout my banking career, sort of the latter part of my career, I engaged in a lot of personal training and um, I worked um, with individual clients. And then I got to the point in my career where I had sufficient contacts and my corporate contacts, so people like one of the big accountancy practices, one of the business schools, became my professional and personal client. So I worked with them. I moved, transitioned from working um, in uh, the banking world to doing personal branding in the image consultancy. I remember I did a whole summer at London Business School working with whole departments and the dean of the business school on personal branding and um, did personal branding workshops and individual one-to-ones for the whole department. Um, 
So my professional contacts became my personal contacts. I think that's the toughest transition for people. There's a lot of people that may be listening that think, well, I'd love to move into being an entrepreneur um, from being um, in a corporate role. But how do I make that transition? And it takes a lot of years of planning, um, you know, if you want to continue your income, you know, if you can afford to take a dip and restart, then it's not so tough to do. Maybe mentally it's tough to do to sort of see your income go to zero and build it up again. I think the best way of doing it is to build up a plan and to build up those contacts that you can. I already had my clients booked in. So I stopped one role and went straight into another role. And it worked for me. I had a boyfriend in America at the time and I decided I wanted to be in charge of my work life rather than my work life dictating how my life should be. And uh, that, if you like, motivated me to say, okay, when I'm here in the UK, you know, I'm on contract doing different roles, like the one at London Business School and the one at one of the big accountancy practices. And when I'm in the States, I'm planning, I'm writing, I'm developing material. So this was before the days of Zoom. I then came to Holland. I uh, moved here for love 10 years ago. And I'm married to my husband, Daniel, and I've got two stepchildren here. And I came with no contacts at all, but I had that inner confidence that I could do it because I've done it before. So I joined a professional networking company that you're affiliated to and got myself a mentor. And that mentor loved what I did. And then we went into, um, she got made redundant and she said, okay, do some sessions for me. She loved it. And she introduced me to her HR and marketing department And then I ended up working with that bank um, um, for all the uh, other individuals that were getting, all the offices were closing around Europe. And I worked across Europe in in Sweden, in uh, Istanbul, in London, in in Holland with all the staff um, on their personal brand. And everyone got through their company uh, paid a one-to-one session, an hour and a half uh, uh, session on working through their brand and the expression of their brand to help them to get that confidence, get that uh, self-belief ready to apply for that next role outside the organisation. And some of those individuals had worked there for 36 years. So it was a huge transition for them. And it was a privilege to work with them. I love how your story is an example of how Everything you talk about works in practice. I guess, no, that's the word. You walk the talk. And I was a bit concerned that I kept your story for the end of the conversation, but I'm so glad I did because it just shows why personal branding is important, why investing in um, in your brand and how important that is. So thank you so much for sharing all that. I have a couple of questions left for you. You already mentioned a book. I'm a bookworm. You know that. We're, we're kind of working on my book club right now for one of the organizations. You already mentioned a book uh, that you recommended as part of uh, during our conversation. What book are you reading these days, if you're reading a book, of course? Well, I'm currently reading the fantastic book uh, that we're working on together in the book club. So I've got it written down here and you're going to help me with the title because I can't find it for the moment. 
but um, it's the Nice Girl range of books from Lois Frankel. The original one was Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. And that one I read about 20 or 30 years ago. <coughs> and that thank you to Lois um, helped me to land that first corner office on the corner of Moorgate, opposite the Bank of England um, in my mid-20s. And I remember sitting down on my first day in that job and, and uh, having a toast with a cup of tea to Lois to say thank you. Um, and I'm reading her new book, Nice Girls Don't Stand Up, Speak Up or Don't Stand Out, um, which is a fantastic book. Another book I'd recommend, obviously, is the iconic book by uh, Amy Cuddy called Presence. And then various other books all about presence. But I think uh, the books that really changed my life in my teens were the Desmond Morris books, um, uh, Man Watching and uh, The Naked Ape. And he's written, uh, more recently written a book, which I've just started to read, called The Naked, I think it's The Naked Female. So Desmond Morris is a fantastic um, uh, psychologist and looking at human, an expert on human behaviour and animal behaviour and looking at why we act as we do. And I find these books absolutely fascinating. Thank you for all the recommendations. And this is... Uh great moment for me to say that as much as I love books, everybody knows that who's listening to the podcast, I also want to emphasize on the importance of actually putting what you read in those books into practice and who better uh, person to help you with that than Joanna. So where can our listeners find you? They can find me on my website, www.imagetalks.eu. Or they can find me on LinkedIn. I think there's two Joanna Pollack Goodmans. So I'm a Pollack, P-O-L-A-K hyphen Goodman. Do send me a message to LinkedIn. I accept all reasonable invitations and I'd love to hear from any of your listeners. Hello again, it's me, Raina, the host of Hail the Queen. Before you go, three quick things. First, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I worked on, as much as I enjoyed creating it. Two, if you want to receive the behind the scenes article for each episode straight to your inbox, please sign up for the Hail the Queen newsletter. You can find the link to do that in the description of this episode, or you can visit our website, hailthequeen.me. And three, last but not least, please support Hail the Queen by either sharing this episode with a friend or subscribing to or following Hail the Queen on your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for your support. Thank you for being here. And until next time. <laughs>